Thank you for downloading the One Church Podsmead podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. To find out more about life at One Church, visit us online at thisisonechurch.com. As you can see from the screen, uh, we're starting a brand new series today, right across One Church, called Create. And uh, it's really this desire of opening up our hearts to this idea of what one new thing uh, are we believing that God can do in our lives? If, if we could just expect God to do something, what would that be? And that's really the sense of what we want to encourage you with today is to be open. We've already heard that in our worship, haven't we? We've been encouraged by Joy. We've been encouraged by Lisa to just be open uh, to the Holy Spirit and to what God wants to do. And I absolutely believe that stuff. I believe that God can do in a moment more than we can do in a year, right? Uh, but actually, it's, it's, not, it's not abracadabra. It's, it's me and God. It's God and me. It's, it's us working together with his purpose and with his plan. And really, that's what this series is all about. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow a reading with me, I'm going to read something from Psalms 51. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. I, I can read it to you. But if you want to follow with me, that will be uh, just great. And I'm going to read from verse 1. I'll read the whole psalm, although I'm only going to lift a little bit uh, from the psalm for us. So this is a psalm that David wrote, a man called David. And he's just been through a fairly catastrophic event in his life. He has been involved in um, an action of deceit. Uh, that deceit ha- led to lust. That lust led to adultery. The adultery led to murder. And, uh, and we find ourselves in this point. So it's a pretty full-on moment. And David writes this, this psalm uh, coming out of that catastrophic experience. So that's the sort of background. And he says these words. Verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. And you taught me wisdom in that secret place. He goes on to say this, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. It does get better. Stay with me. Um, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to God. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and who are uh, and you uh, who are my God and Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, do not despise. May it please you to prosper, Zion, 
to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls will be offered at your altar. Uh, There's a little uh, segue in that passage that we want to jump in on. It's really the beginning of our series together. And David says these words, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit uh, within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. What a a great cry that is uh, from David. It's amazing that the opening words of the Bible Uh, goes something like this. Some of you will be aware of that, maybe familiar with that. And it says, it's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No explanation, just a statement. In the beginning, God created. And right there at the very opening sentence of the Bible, we are introduced to this idea that the God of the Bible, the God that we serve here in Podsmead, that we declare every week, is a a God who created stuff. Now, we can argue all day about creation, evolution, what comes where, who does what. But actually, a Bible worldview is that life as we know it found its origin in God himself. That God is uh, uh, the one who created the universe. So, the incredible world that we see around us. We've been watching uh, Deep Blue, you know, the Blue Planet stuff. Wow. Uh, I mean, we're, we're discovering stuff that we didn't even know existed. Things that are going on under the sea that only now we're discovering. I think that's something of the magnificence of the God we serve. That's what he's like. He's created a universe that even with all our brilliance and all our innovation and all our creativity, we're still discovering. Uh, and that's how immense That is. And when we look at the opening verses of the Bible, we're confronted with this fact that God created. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means this, that our God is a creator. Uh, And actually, it's not just that he creates, he is creator. All right? It's not just something he does, something he is. Right? Uh, and, And there's stuff that we do because we do it. There's other stuff we do. It's because we are it. Are you with me? So, so we do certain things because that's just who we are. We, it's almost like we can't not do it because that's the person we are. That, that's a bit like how we're introduced to God here. It's not just we're introduced to a God who creates something. We're introduced to a God who is, in fact, by very essence, a creator. He can't not create. He wants to be doing this all the time in our world. We see also that 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 God then, uh, as it were, expresses his creator in he makes a creation. Uh, and, uh, and he forms something that we're still marveling at today. He, he makes something both in the world, and I would argue as a Christian, a Bible worldview is, in me, uh, the way he's made humanity, we reflect his creation. We are a mirror image of his genius and his innovation. So, so that creator then uh, brings about a creation. But the other thing I want you to see is this, that actually uh, our God is a creative God. Uh, and even though the work of creation, as we understand it in the book of Genesis, sort of finished uh, on day six, God hasn't stopped being creative. In fact, we would argue, as followers of Jesus, this God wants to continue being creative all the time. And in fact, 
part of my role as a follower of Jesus is that I have to be open to his ability to be creative in my world and in my life so that the creative power we see in the book of Genesis can be seen here in my 21st century world amidst my ordinariness and the mundaneness and the challenges of the everyday of my world. Now, now we can either just see God as someone who did something way back then uh, and that's it over. Or we can see that the God we're introduced to in the opening pages of Genesis is actually a God who wants to continue creating something in us, for us, and through us. He hasn't stopped creating. He hasn't stopped. Now, you know, we, we may argue about stars and planets, but, but that essence of God as a creator, he, he, can't, he hasn't stopped that. He wants to continue doing that. And he wants to do that in our lives and in our community. He wants to make something that will be truly amazing. To, to, to create here, the word here really means to bring something into existence that didn't exist before. He loves doing that. He wants to bring life into you that wasn't there before. He wants to do things for you that haven't been there before. He wants to take you to new places, new opportunities, new possibilities, because he is the God who loves to create in our world and through our world. And so when David cries out to this God and he says, create in me a pure heart, he's literally lifting up his eyes to the one person who can do that. He's saying to God, will you make something in me that hasn't been there before? Will you do something for me? In the way that you put stars in space, in the way that you floated planets in their orbits, could you, could you make something in me? Because I'm desperate. I've really blown it. And David did blow it. I mean, there's no hiding the fact. It's, I mean, David's life is like an episode you know, an EastEnders or the Jeremy, he could have a, a, an episode of the Jeremy Kyle show all to himself because of what he went through. Because David did blow it. He, he made terrible, catastrophic mistakes. And here he is crying out to God saying, you're the creator. You made creation. You're still creative. Could you do something for me? Could you make something in me that doesn't exist? Because if my life's left to me, I'm in trouble. If, if I have to pull my life out of this muck, I'm not going to make it. So, so God, I, I need you to do something that only you can do. You see, that's, the, that's this gorgeous moment where the God bit and the human bit come together. Is, that, is God a creator? Yes, he is. Can he do anything? Yes, he can. Is he able to work with, with or without me and you? Of course he can. But the thing that God loves, the, the big message of the Bible is he wants me and you to engage with him so that he can create something in us. And so David says, God, create in me. Something new, something that doesn't exist before. That's the essence of this series. We're inviting God to create something that wasn't there before. And in many ways, that's what Lisa was encouraging us to think about. That's what Joy was encouraging us to think about. It's so easy to go from 2017 into 2018, and it's just the way it's always been. I get that. I've been on the planet long enough to know that that stuff can wear us down and wear us out. But actually... It's that moment of faith like David has here where he lifts up his eyes and says, God, we dare to believe 
We dare to invite you in to create something that hasn't been there before. Something here in Podsmead that hasn't been there before. Something in your life that hasn't been there before. Something in your marriage. Something in your journey. Something in your experience that, that, that hasn't been there before. And here's the problem for us as humans. Because it hasn't been there before, it's hard to imagine that thing. All right, because we tend to be governed by what we know, right? That's, I mean, that's fair, isn't it? We tend, to, we tend to think forward out of what we know. And David is calling out to God and he's saying, I need something more. I need something beyond what I've known now. I need something from you. And that's a, that's a step of faith. That's an action of faith that says, God, only you can create this. But what I love about this, this passage, and this is what I want to draw from the next few minutes, is that his creation, God's creation, requires my cooperation. So can God create? Yes. Why? Because he's the creator. He's proved he's got a track record of doing this stuff. He's good at it. So can God create with or without me? Of course he can. But the Bible teaches this incredible idea that he wants to create with me. Wants me involved. He wants me to have an attitude that invites his creativity into my world. That says you are the creator. That says you made the creation and it invites him to be creative. And actually, that's what David is doing in this psalm. You know, this psalm's a bit scary when we read it. It can put us off because it's a bit heavy. But essentially what David is doing, he's, he's building a platform and he's saying to God, will you come and be creative? And David is doing some stuff that's inviting God in to do this creative. So can God be creative in your life? Yes, he can. I can say that without fear of contradiction. And there are people in this room who could tell you stories of God's creative power in them. But, but what I've come to discover is I've got a part to play in inviting the creator into my moments to allow him to make something that wasn't there before. Does that make sense? And so what we're going to look at just for a couple of moments is, uh, what are the conditions that, that make a create moment? Here's David setting up a create moment. Can, can, can we learn from David all those years ago and ask, even in the 21st century, Lord, is there stuff that I can be doing that makes a platform for you, builds something for you to do something in me? Because God wants to create new things in my life and your life this year. I, that's not a prophetic word. That's just biblical fact. All right? He wants to do something new in our lives. He does. So that's not the issue. Can he or can't he? Will he or won't he? That's not the issue. The issue is, the issue is, do I want that? Not can he do it. <laughs> do I want it? And if I'm honest, with my journey as a follower of Jesus, that's where most of my hassles have come. It's not that God doesn't want to do it. Sometimes I don't want them to do it. It's not that he can't do it. It's that I sometimes try to do it myself and don't invite him into my world. So, so what, what things can we, what conditions can help create this moment? From this psalm, I'm going to give you three to think about. Uh, to go away and hopefully help you as we go forward. The first one is hunger. Hunger. That's, that's a, a condition that creates a create moment. 
And we see that in the psalm. Now, I don't know about you, um, uh, but I, I love olives. Any olive lovers in the room? Okay. Any olive haters in the room? Yes, we're splitting about half. Anyone never tasted an olive? Okay, so you've all had a go at it. So, so everyone in the room has at some point tasted an olive. Is that correct? Anyone not tasted an olive? Marvellous, there we are. So, so everyone's tasted one. And as a result, we've got people who really, really like them and people who really, really hate them. That's sort of olives, really. You either love them or you hate them. Yes, there's sort of no... I've never met anybody who goes, well, I can take them or leave them. It's like, yuck or Wow. Okay, and actually, I, I remember tasting my first olive when I was 10. I was on a school trip, and they were encouraging us in Belfast to be culturally <laughs> exciting. And so, in a Spanish context, uh, they stuffed olives to us. And they, the black olive looked like a grape to a wee boy from Belfast. So I had a go, and immediately spit the black olive across the table. I think I hit someone on the other side of the table. It was... It, it, Tasted like rubber. The texture was rubberish, and it was everything that I didn't expect it to be. You know, when you eat something, you think that's not what I expected. Yeah. It looks, it looked better than it tasted. To be honest, as a ten-year-old, is that okay? Yes. Uh, and about five or six years ago, I was on ministry. And uh, the, the church I was ministering for put me in a lovely hotel. I was doing a weekend for them. And they said, look, John, we'll pick you up after dinner. Uh, just go into the restaurant and, and sort your dinner out. Just, just, you know, put it on the tab sort of thing. So I went down to order my dinner. And it was going to take about 25 minutes. And so while I was sitting at the table, uh, a young woman brought a big jar full of olives and feta cheese. Looked a little bit like that, but with feta cheese thrown in. Okay, yeah, come on. Now, some of you are going... <laughs> died and gone to heaven. You're, you're going to rush out of here, go to Sainsbury's and buy some olives. I know you are. Okay. Others are going, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. So, so as it's sitting there, I'm, I'm really hungry. I'm starving actually. I, and so I go, do you know, let's have a go. All right. Now I'm in my mid forties. The last time I've tried this is I was 10 and I picked up the olive and I stuck it in my mouth and I started to chew and I went, wow. That's good. I like that. And I thought, well, maybe I've just, maybe I just found the one olive that tastes good. So let's try another one. So I stuck another one in. It was just as good. And I kept going. I surprised myself that I had eaten the whole bowl of olives before my dinner had arrived. Now I got, I got home from ministry and I walked in uh, to the house. Uh, Dawn expected me to say I had an amazing time of ministry. Bodies healed. Lives changed. The first words were, Dawn, I like olives. <laughs> I've just discovered I like olives. They're, they're amazing. And I'm the only person in my house who likes them. Okay. Now, what created the olive moment was I was hungry. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. It wasn't like the look of them, the smell of them, or can I say the memory of them. If I'd have gone on my memory, I'd never have touched them. That's part of our problem when it comes to the work of God. Sometimes it's our memory that stops us opening ourselves up to God's creative moment. The last time I did this, this happened. Last time I tried one of those, it sucked. Okay, But actually, we serve a God who can, who can take us beyond the memory into something new. And if I'd have lived on my memory, I'd have never have tried that. The reality was I was just really hungry. And it was the hunger that created a moment to try something I'd never experienced before.
to actually enjoy an olive. Look at this. Look at what David says. Have mercy. He opens up the psalm. Have mercy on me, O God. This is a cry of hunger. David before this, fantastic warrior, great king, top man, everything's perfect. Now he's broken. Now things have gone wrong. And his opening, his opening statement to God in the psalm is, please have mercy. I, I need you to do something. There is a hunger in God. Can I just say this to every one of us? And we're all in different stages of the journey. But, but if, we're, if we're not hungry for him... He doesn't tend to show up. Now, now, does he love me? He does. Will he never leave me? He never will. But actually, I'm talking now about those creative moments. I'm talking about those God moments in my life. If I'm hungry for him, here's what I've discovered. Hunger tends to attract the presence of God. If I'm not bothered... Create moments don't tend to happen. If I come to a gathering like this and I go, ah, it doesn't really matter, does it? Then generally nothing happens. If, if I walk into my world with a sort of a whatever attitude, then actually rarely do outstanding things happen. I've just noticed this pattern. When I'm hungry, when I'm open, when I'm receptive, when, when my senses are sharp, as it were, when I want something, it happens are you with me now i'm not saying we we twist god's arm up his back because god wants to create stuff in you and he wants to do something in me and you because he loves us not because we're pressing the buttons right but one of the things if you read the bible continuously one of the things that constantly gets god's attention is hunger it's hunger so does god want to create something for you in 2018 i would put my mortgage on it that he does that's how confident they are. Will he? It depends. How hungry are we? Because here's what I've discovered. Hunger creates a create moment. It does. The olive moment was created because I was hungry. Yes? Here's the second thing I want you to see. Not only does hunger, can hunger create a create moment, but honesty creates a create moment. Honesty is really important. And by honesty, I don't just mean here telling the truth when you're asked a question. I'm talking about living honestly within yourself, truthfully before God. Because honesty is another one of those things that God really likes in us. And again, not just being truthful with our world, but being truthful with ourselves. Yep. Um, a few years ago, in fact, in 2013, my brother and my father passed away within six months of each other. It was a bit of a challenging year. 2013 was a bit of a shock. My, my brother died very unexpectedly. My father had been a little bit ill and uh, it developed into something else. And it was, a, it was a shocking year for us. So as a result, I was traveling backwards and forwards to Belfast. Uh, growing up in Belfast, it meant I, I was eating sort of more comfort food. So this lovely, healthy breakfast we've had this morning was amazing. A good start to 2018. And I've always tried to look after my body. I've always been fairly physically active and tried to do sport and stuff. So, so I've tried to take care of myself. But I found myself over that six-month period eating a lot of junk. And it wasn't junk junk. It was comfort junk. Do you know what I mean? It was the food that I used to eat as a kid that made me feel good. And so with all this stuff going on, I found myself giving myself permission 
to eat the sort of food that I knew would not help me. Are you with me? Is that okay? Is it okay to admit that? And so I found myself, my father passed away on the 9th of December. And so by then I was already not feeling very good and, and I was putting on some weight. And then I hit Christmas and I sort of just gave myself a Christmas break. <laughs> and so I thought to myself, right, let's just go for it over Christmas as well. And I piled a lot of weight on. I mean, a lot, okay. Uh, and I knew I sort of had. And so I was sitting with my team uh, in the new year. We were talking about, you know, New Year's resolutions and all that malarkey going on. And so I said to my team, yeah, I've put on a wee bit of weight. I'm going to get back into it and, and trim down a little bit. And so they said to me, how much do you think you've put on? And I said, oh, about a stone. Now, my wife was sitting there with me. And Dawn's very, very respectful of me. She's never once said anything or done anything in public that would embarrass me as a man, even though I deserved it numerous occasions. Uh, she's never done that. And as I said, I put on about a stone, she sort of laughed. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, darling, wait, 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 what's the laugh? She said, well, it's more like two stone. I said, no, no way. No, 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 no way. It's a stone. I said, John, I live with you. And I'm telling you, it's two stone. Now, so we're, we're now moving from a little laugh into a, okay, this could become a domestic in front of the team. So that's maybe back off this a little bit. So I went, okay, okay, I said, I said, when I get home, I'll weigh myself and we'll see who's right. And so I couldn't wait to get home. I rushed home, stripped off as much as I could because I wanted to, you know, you know, give myself every opportunity uh, to win this argument. And I stood on the scales and she was right. And I was wrong. That moment when you look at the scales and think, these are broke. What's wrong with these? Let's fix these. Uh, and I was, I was just about two stone overweight. Now, in my head, that's what I look like. Do you know? In my head. But as my wife said, John, I live with you. What you think you are. And what you are, two different things, mate. And actually, I was less like that and a bit more like that. Okay, belly hanging over the belt sort of moment. I was sucking it in, but it was still hanging over. Do you know what I mean? And actually, when I stopped sucking in and just let it all hang out, she was right. Now, here was the problem. In my head, I didn't want to be honest with what she really knew. I wanted to convince myself I'm not too stone overweight. But I was. Because the scales don't lie. The, the woman of my dreams who lives with me and see, has seen me in my highest moments and my lowest moments said, John, trust me. Now, that's a crucial moment. Because if I continue to ignore her and continue to ignore the scales, I'm not going to change. What happens next is dependent on how honest I'm prepared to be. If I'm going to be honest, that becomes the fuel of change. Look at what David says in the psalm. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, if you know the backstory to this, David tried to play a game. David tried to cover this up. He tried to cover up his adultery. He tried to cover up murder. He tried to cover it all up. And Nathan, the man of God, has to come along and tell him this weird story about a rich man killing another man's lamb uh, in order to get David to come 
out from the covers. Uh, and he says, the rich man kills the poor man's lamb to put on a feast. And David stands up and says, who is this man? Let's kill him. And Nathan said, uh, that's you, lad. You're two stone overweight. No, I'm not. No, you are. You're the man. Now, when God said you're the man, that's the moment. What's David going to do? Is he going to run away from the scales? Is he going to run away from the two stone moment? Is he going to run away from the man of God? Or is he going to go flip? Okay. I'll be honest here. And, and by God's grace, David is honest. And that's what saves his life. David says, against you and you only, I have sinned. And David creates a create moment for God by being honest. Now, if you're not going to be honest, can I, can I say this? The creator of the universe can't create anything in you if you're not going to be honest. John, I thought you said he was all powerful. He is. But he will not violate our will. That's one of the weird things, wonderful things about God. He's actually made you like him. He's made you with a will. So he won't twist your arm. He won't force his hand. He will say, well, if you want to continue to believe you're one stone overweight when you're two, it's fine. Knock yourself out. But if you're going to be honest, I can change you. Come on, are you there? See, see does God want to create? Yes. But he needs me to be sort of honest. He said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Or Lord, I need your help. And if we're prepared to do that, God can, because honesty creates a create moment. Here's the last thing really quickly, the last couple of minutes, and then we're going to pray together. The third thing is humility. So we've had hunger, honesty. The third thing is humility. God loves this, this sense of humility. And humility is this idea of being open to something bigger, better, cleverer than you. So it's just, it's just accepting the idea that, that something that you think can't be or you think you can do on your own, actually someone outside of you can help you do that. You just recognize there's a power or an authority or a knowledge beyond yours. And you, you acknowledge it and you say, wow, that's great. I, I've, I've been a, a dog lover all of my life, but I've always loved big dogs. So being an Irishman, you know, I wanted a big dog. So I've always had bigger dogs, border collies. Our, our, our last big dog was a sort of a Heinz variety. She had big long legs and gorgeous big hound. So I've always, I've always loved going for walks with the big dog. And as a result, I've always resisted little dogs. Little dogs are not for proper men. Proper men do not walk little dogs. So I've resisted it all my life. Long story short, I ended up with a little dog. <laughs> This is pepperoni. Uh, in our house, we call him the original sausage. So he's the first sausage dog. Uh, it's funny. Uh, do you know that there's a taxi driver's won nearly 25 million in town? And we were, we were talking, what would you do with 25 million? And I said, ooh, ooh, I'd, many things I'd do. I said, but one of the things I'd do, I'd buy a big house and I'd fill it with sausage dogs. Um, so it's a bit sad, really. That's how bad I've become. So, so pepperoni is a sort of a miniature sausage right he's, he's a sausage dog a dax hound and, and we ended up with with pepperoni uh, and and I resisted small dogs because there's no way I'm walking a small dog down the street it's just not cool right but having opened my heart to the small dog I'm not a small dog fan in fact we've got another small dog this is salami so we've got two sausage dogs at home 
pepperoni and salami, and they got together, and they've had 10 sausages together. Okay, here's one of their sausages, and she's called Frankie. This is my daughter's dog, Frankie, for Frankfurter. Sorry, sorry about all of this. Pepperoni, salami, and Frankfurter. And she's even got a little, little coat on him. Now, now, 10 years ago, if I'd have seen Liam with a dog with a coat on, I'd have said, get a life, lad. I'd have slapped him round the head, dragged him into a room, knee in the groin, sorted out, lad. Okay, you're a man. What are you putting a jumper on a dog for? Dogs already have jumpers. Now we have a range of jumpers at home that we put on our sausage dogs. My goodness, five years ago, I'd never have touched it with a barge pole. Now I'm sold. The difference, humility. And my arrogance, I said, oh no, I could never like a small dog until I got one. And now I love small dogs. You see, so often as humans, we think we know best for our lives. That's one of our weaknesses. We're full of ourselves. It's our big weakness, our big Achilles heel. We think, I know better than God, but here's what I've discovered. He always knows best. And sometimes he gives me options in life I don't want. I want a big dog. He says, try the small dog. But I don't want a small dog. Try it. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And when it comes to a create moment, it's me and you trusting, like Lisa told us earlier on, trusting that he knows best. And there will be moments in 2018 when you will want to get into it with God. You'll want to tell him, I know best. And that's always a mistake. Always. I can hardly wire a plug and yet I have the audacity to tell the creator of the universe I know what's best and God in his grace lets me have those moments and then he says John I know best here's what I've discovered if I'm prepared to be humble it creates the great moment look at David's language he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart now he doesn't mean broken in the bad sense he means they're a heart that is humble before God because of David's humility God was able to do something see humility creates a great moment so as we come into 2018 we're asking the question creating me and for every person in the room, it's going to be different. What you want God to create or what you hope God to create is going to be different for every person. Some of you sitting in the room don't even know what you want God to create. It's okay. But here's what we do know. Whatever you're hoping for or not hoping for, here's what we understand. That actually hunger, honesty and humility will create the create moment. One of those or all of those. And if you and I can enter 2018 with hunger, God will show up. If we can approach him with honesty, really being honest with ourselves and honest with him, he will show up. If we can be humble and be prepared to accept his way and not just what we want, he will show up. So does God want to create something in me and you? He absolutely does. No question. Can he do it? Yes, 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 yes. Will he do it? Well, that sort of depends. 
on how you and I respond to this invitation. Amen? So I want to encourage you to open up your heart to this possibility that the Creator wants to create something new in me and you. But actually, He's looking for a heart that will respond to Him in hunger, honesty, and humility. Amen? Amen. Bless you. I'm going to hand back to What a fantastic word. Let's just show our appreciation to John. What a challenging word that is.